Welcome to the Agent of Influence podcast with Nabil Hanan. I'm your host, Nabil Hanan, Managing Director at NetSpy. This is a podcast sponsored by NetSpy as a place to share best practices and trends in the world of cybersecurity and vulnerability management. Portions of this interview will appear in print on the NetSpy executive blog. To find out more, go to www.netspy.com slash agent of influence. This is an episode in a series of interviews with industry leaders and security gurus, and it's a pleasure to have with me today, Kristen Walsh. Hi, Kristen. Good morning, Nabil. The views presented by Kristen are those of her own and do not necessarily represent the views of her employer or its subsidiaries. Kristen is a unique professional with over 20 years of experience, two of which were from the seat of a bicycle somewhere between Washington and Singapore. She spent her career in roles covering program, project, and construction management, internal communications, and operations in logistics, biotech, and pharma companies, ranging from very small companies to Fortune 500. She has been responsible for information security strategy and cybersecurity program development, disaster recovery, business continuity, facility relocations, and M&A planning. During her two years on the road, She has gained a new perspective on communication, leading change, and continuous improvement initiatives. Kristen is also a podcast junkie, and this is her first time making a guest appearance on a podcast, and I'm really excited to have her on as a guest. So Kristen, let's get started. How did you get started with security? Well, I thought quite a bit about this question, and um, it came to me last night that it was actually fate, I think. Probably about uh, 2011, I received a check in the mail for uh, $40,000 from my 401k plan and uh, took a look at it. It looked legitimate. And I called the uh, provider. And as soon as they picked up the phone, they said, Mrs. Walsh, we are so sorry to hear about your mother. And we tried to wire that money to you but um, our policies didn't permit it since the name on the account didn't match uh, the name on the, the wire transfer. It was at that moment that I almost realized that I was the victim of a identity theft. Fortunately, I got the money back, um, no harm done, but um, through all the credit reporting, police reporting, uh, credit checks, it gave me this appreciation for how these these cybersecurity incidences can happen right under your nose. And once I got everything resolved, I told that to- story to as many people as I could. And it was probably about five years later that I had the opportunity with a former colleague to get involved in cybersecurity and um, realized that was probably a good, a good role for me. Well, you're lucky that you didn't you didn't have as much of a damage as that could have been. That incident could have been much more harmful. And I can't imagine the people who, you know, fall into that sort of a scenario and end up losing thousands and thousands of dollars or their, you know, retirement savings. It just breaks my heart to think to think about that. And I think some of the value that I can bring to the cybersecurity industry is both the personal aspect of understanding people and understanding a bit of the psychology and vulnerability 
and I consider myself a pretty smart individual and I did something stupid. I had my signature and my Yahoo email and it got lifted and I almost lost a lot, a lot of money. And so uh, when I had the opportunity to get involved and to help lead a program from the ground up, including the training for your desk level employees, I took it. And that desk level employee, they really want to come in, do a great job and go home. And part of the responsibility of a good cybersecurity team is to give, give folks a safe, secure environment that they can do their job, do their job well, and go home to their family. I think your story will resonate a lot with most of our audience because we do certain things very inadvertently in our online presence today. And sometimes we don't really think about the consequences. If you think about the use of, in your case, was just as simple as having enough details or your signature in your email for someone to try and, you know, call up your 401k provider and impersonate you. But just imagine the amount of information that's there on social media, in addition to your emails that are publicly available, or if not publicly available, at least available to a large audience of people you're connected with, which share information that can be leveraged to create a compromise, things like your date of birth, things like your residence or home address, um, your hometown where you grow up, grew up, your maiden name, uh, etc. All of those things which are commonly used as another mechanism or a way to answer challenge questions to recover an account, those are in many cases available online uh, publicly uh, through public records. So I, I, I really like your story and I'm glad you brought it up because I think it'll resonate with everyone and the importance of why we need to think more carefully and critically, and at least have a basic understanding of what we share, how it's really permanently there out there on the interwebs, and that can be used to, to create a, a type of compromise. Yes, it, it makes me so mad to see those Facebook quizzes that everyone jumps on about <laughs> where did you go to school and who was your name of your first pet, and they're just they're just grabbing all this personal information that makes it so much easier to compile what's already out there. And people just don't, they don't make the connection. Those are fun. Yep. People think of it as fun, but yep. they don't think about it that way at all. So Kristen, uh, you have a very interesting story about spending 22 months on a bicycle going from Seattle to Singapore. Can you share with us that experience, how it got started and some of your key takeaways? So I did. Uh, my husband and I got married when we first graduated college, uh, got, got to work, had jobs. And about seven years before the trip, so about 2007, we decided to take a year off. We'd been working hard and never had that gap year that a lot of students have the opportunity for. And we spent years paying off student loans, paying off all of our debt. We sold our house and everything in it except what fit in a five by five storage unit so that while we were traveling, we had the opportunity to just stay someplace that we fell in love with. And we did it by bicycle because it gave us the opportunity to stretch that year into up to three years. 
we brought camping gear, we brought cooking gear, and we spent most of the time camping. And we also stayed in some host, some families host bicycle tours on a network called Warm Showers. It's similar to couch surfing. So we did that across the U.S. and uh, a bit in Europe. And um, it was a wonderful break. We ended up being out for about 22 months, as Nabil said, and uh, had, the, had the chance to stay out for three years, but decided that um, we were a bit tired of traveling. And the best way I can have folks relate to it is I got tired of waking up in the middle of the night trying to figure out where I was and where the bathroom was. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to be home. It's and an have... important. It's an important thing to know when you wake up in the middle of the night. It is. It is. It was then that a former colleague provided the opportunity to co-lead the cybersecurity team with him, and so it was good timing all the way around. But um, through that time traveling, there were some some real key takeaways, and I think one of the ones that may not be so work related but more related to life is that people are good. And we hear about the bad ones because they're unique. Um, if there were more bad people than good people, then you'd hear more about the good people. So I think it's a blessing that around the world, most people are good. And I think one of the unique experiences that we had was being on the ground for some pretty major events. We were traveling through North Dakota during the oil boom in 2014. And we sat in bars and we talked with ranchers who, um, whose land was being used for fracking and just getting their perspective directly from them. Um, and we happened to be in Greece on the island of Kos when a lot of the refugees were coming up onto the beach and seeing the, just the desperation and not getting that, that tilt from the media. And seeing these things firsthand gives you, just gives you a different perspective. More from a work skill area, I think one of the biggest takeaways was figuring out how to communicate when you don't share a common language. And I think that's key with a lot of cybersecurity in that your average desk level person doesn't understand the technical aspects of cybersecurity. And to be honest, I don't understand them super deeply either, but I know enough to be able to translate between someone who does have that technical knowledge and someone who just wants to do a great job. And I think that's one of the one of the key takeaways. I think what you mentioned there is important to highlight as well is it may not always be translating the the technical piece to someone who may be non-technical or being able to convey the message around the importance of security to someone who doesn't have a security mindset. But as we evolve and go through transformation, especially given the situation we're in today around the pandemic and as many people as possible are working from home, I think we're also going to start to see and interact with people who are in different geographies that come from different cultural background and speak different languages. So it's going to become important for us to effectively communicate with our global citizens that we work with. Yeah, definitely. And one other area, and I think, again, it's more relevant today than ever, is the ability to adapt and be comfortable with change. And being in a different location every day, needing to find food, find water, figure out where you're going to sleep, it's that that ability to live with the uncertainty and 
know that things will work out. Definitely makes you more prepared and resilient for situations like a pandemic where you don't know what's going to happen the next day. You don't know what news you're going to hear or what new regulation is going to be put out. So um, I'm, I'm sure that has been a rewarding experience that really allows you to be more flexible in your day-to-day activities. Yeah. So, so Kristen, what are some key security concerns and focus that, that you've identified within the biotech sector itself? Well, um, first of all, broadly, I think really great cybersecurity is boring. And I think that the media, uh, some media can do a disservice by making it flashy and scary but it's it's doing the boring preparation that really is the most important thing and providing that secure safe space for for folks to work in for the real the scientists to create the magic and i think specifically um equipment maintenance is very key making sure that software everything runs off of software and making sure that that is up to date, make sure the security patches are in place. And that's that's a tough one because it can be a difficult balance between business and security. And being able to have those conversations about why it's so critical that we take down this money-making instrument in order to do a security upgrade, um, having that conversation and having those successful relationships is very important. Also. You hear a lot about data privacy and whether you're dealing with people's biological samples or you're dealing with a company's um, IP for a new device, whatever it is, that privacy is critical. Making sure that your systems are secured as best you can from the outside and that you have alerting and monitoring mechanisms in place for when the worst may happen. And I think it's critical to be prepared and practiced on what do you do in the event of a breach because you can do all the prevention that you want but it's that speed to recognition and recovery that's critical and the third thing that i would say is that audit trails are very critical Uh, definitely in biotech because you want to make sure that you attribute the right information and the right discoveries to the right people but also from a cybersecurity perspective. And when you're, when you're doing those investigations and trying to figure out whose PC or which server or what part of the network was, was infiltrated, that audit trail and the environment of sharing and openness that allows you to be able to do a successful investigation. And I actually have this belief that ultimately you can put in as much automation and technology in place as you want. The The weakest link is ultimately people, especially if they're not educated or aware of how their actions might impact security. So what are some techniques that you've seen be effective when educating employees on cybersecurity or just security awareness in general? So I think overall, less is more. Figure out what needs to be mandatory and go ahead and make it mandatory from a compliance perspective. But be sneaky with your training and train people in ways that they don't know that they're being trained. For example, have a short video or voice over a short PowerPoint and 
give people certificates or do a Q&A where you invite people to come and ask anything. And I have found that people will ask about their personal stuff in addition to questions about work. And the truth is, is that business and personal is no longer separate. It's very much a blur. And so if you teach people to be secure in their personal lives, it will transfer over to business and it will benefit you. So if you take the person as a whole and help them with their personal questions, it will repay. And as one example, I had a woman approach me who had recently lost her husband and he was a software person. And she said, I have all this equipment and devices and I don't know what to do with them. I don't even know what they are. I don't know where to start. And so I grabbed some friends who were smarter in security than me and we helped her out. And um, she was grateful and it was you know, it was it was fun and it was a walk down memory lane for some of my friends. And, oh, I haven't seen this in 15 years. And mm -hmm. so that was that was fun. But another thing is to to relate cybersecurity to real life objects the best that you can. So when you talk about layered security, um, I know it's probably well, it isn't an, an overused image, but I still like it. And it's your castle and you have your moat prevents some intrusion. And then you have your archers up on top who can prevent additional intrusion. And you have your hot oil that can come down for folks who get even closer. You'll always have these hidden vulnerabilities like the small windows in the castle that you need to protect or you need to know that they're there and have a backup system for what happens if someone does reach it. Yeah. And then that's actually where the term Trojan horse comes from was from the Battle of Troy, where they had a Trojan horse that infiltrated a, a particular secure area of the enemy. And then, of course, things like backdoors and other things where it's secrets that you know within your infrastructure that you can get into that others may not be aware of. Yep. And I really like your description of how the work and personal things, the line between them have really blurred than than what it was before. I mean, we have our emails on our personal devices. Organizations are allowing more and more bring your own device to work methodology instead of handing out uh, corporate owned mobile devices to uh, their employees because that just isn't necessary anymore. Everyone has smartphones. Everyone has devices that are more than capable of supporting the business needs. And it's a, it's a convenience, but it comes with its own set of challenges and risks as well. Because, um, you know, your personal device may not be as protected as a corporate device that goes through a certain level of hardening and um, software patching and maintenance that, that you may not be as diligent about, just as one example. So I, I do really, really like that that piece. So a lot of what you what you mentioned, I, I like the nature of how there's a theme of storytelling in, in within your experience. And just in general, with your friends and your colleagues and interactions that you've had uh, around cybersecurity, what are your thoughts? And, and why is it so important to share your story and, and make sure that others are aware who may not be as security savvy from your perspective. One of my training philosophies that I didn't mention was no shaming and, and keeping an open environment. And I think uh, no matter how many times people talk about it, 
when you fall for one of these scams, you innately feel shame. And I think that we need to get past that. And if you fall for one of these things, tell people about it. So probably about four years ago, um, my mom had come to visit and she brought with her a computer because she wanted some help putting together a PowerPoint picture presentation for her friends. And uh, her computer took about five minutes to, to just to boot up. And I said, Mom, does it always take this long? And she said, oh, yeah, it does. And so long story short, we ended up going and buying her a new computer because her old computer was old and goodness knows what was on it. We got it all set up, sent her home. About two weeks later, she calls me and says, um, Kristen, I'm in a bit of a pickle. And I said, oh, OK, Mom, what's wrong? She said, well, um, I have I have a guy on my computer who says that I have a, a virus on my router and he wants to sell me antivirus software and I'm not sure if I should buy it. And I had just finished listening to another one of my favorite podcasts who did an investigation of this particular scam where um, hackers get you get a pop up on your phone or your computer saying that you have a virus on your router. You give them remote access to your computer. They find, quote unquote, the virus and then offer to sell you antivirus software. So I immediately said, Mom, it's a scam. Don't don't do anything other than turn off your computer, go find your router and unplug it and then call me back. And um, she did. I was shocked that she knew where her router was, but very impressed at the same time. <laughs> um, and uh, so it ended up that they were just looking for cash. They didn't they didn't get anything off of her computer. But when I said, well, how long were they on your computer before you called me? And she said, oh, hardly any time, just 10 minutes or so. And I said, mom, that's a long time. And they could have gotten a lot of information off of that computer. And so I, she took it to Best Buy um, and got it, got it looked at, and it ended up no harm done. But um, after we, we all settled down and our heart rates returned to normal, I said, Mom, you, you need to be careful, and you need to tell your friends about what happened. And don't be ashamed, because if people didn't, didn't fall for this, these guys wouldn't be out there looking to make money. And so it's so important that if you or someone you know has experienced one of these scams, tell people about it. I can't tell you how many times I've told my 401k almost lost $40,000 story. And the truth is, is I did something stupid. I, I didn't think through what I was doing. And so when you're in your email, um, you're on your phone, you're clicking anything, just take that extra two seconds and, and think about what you're doing. Or if you get a, an email that you're not sure about, or it's from, even if it's from, quote unquote, from your bank, get your wallet and call the number on the back of your card. Take that extra step. And I just went through all of this, I don't know what it was, three weeks ago with the unemployment scam that's going around Washington State. I was a victim and... Honestly, the moment I found out, 
my whole brain got scrambled and I couldn't even think about what I was supposed to do first. And I, and I know. And you're an expert and you've, you've experienced this firsthand before. I have, I have. And it's just that it's that sense of anxiety and stress and urgency that these scammers um, take advantage of. And so if you, if you have a heads up that something's going around or you know that one of your friends went through it, then you have someone you can talk to and you shouldn't feel ashamed because things are getting sneakier and sneakier and harder to detect. And it's important too for people to realize that the scams and the scammers are very good at their craft. They have scripts that sound very legitimate and realistic. They call pretending to be from reputable organizations like Microsoft, Google, McAfee, etc., trying to sell you either some upgrades or features to protect you. They get access to your machine and show you some basic things that are in reality benign, but someone who isn't tech savvy would have no way of knowing whether it's a serious issue or if they're just showing you something that's normal as part of the machine. And a lot of people fall victim I've actually tried to be on some of these calls myself just to see how far I can get them to go and how long I can keep them on the phone uh, to, to see what other things they ask for or what things they're looking for and try to accomplish. And it's really intriguing. And to be honest, I can see an average person who isn't tech savvy and even some people who may even be tech savvy falling for some of the scams as well. So it's unfortunate that this happens. It's important to bring awareness around it and share your story around, you know, your experiences or your friends' experiences um, that you're aware of. Yep. And, and as I said early on, most of the people in this world are nice and good and want to help. And so you call the, let's say the local telecom company gets a phone call claiming it's you you're crying or concerned or stressed, they're going to try and help you. And if it's not you, they're still going to try and help whoever's on the phone. And so um, unfortunately, the social engineering aspect of cybersecurity, it can be pretty easy to get information if, if someone has just a little bit of information on you, whether it's your social, your name, your address, your phone number, your email. Um, you can rattle them off and they can do as much damage as they want. But it doesn't happen all that often. Well, and, th and that's so true, right? People are in general trying to be helpful and they're not as suspicious of someone calling in trying to pretend to be you as well if they're trying to get more information. I find the a gold mine of information is available through the white pages where you can find people's names, their phone numbers, and their address oh. in, in most most cases, right? And if you if you know what their cell phone provider is, which is something you can typically look up as well, um, it's very easy to call up the cell phone provider, pretend to be you're the person's spouse, and you're in a rush, or you're struggling with a crying baby, and uh, try to get a customer service rep to either change your account's password or give you some other additional details like the last four of your social, then you can capture that information 
and then take that to some other company or some other service that you might be a part of and try to breach that account too. Yep. So it's something that I think a lot of people don't talk about, but these um, these types of attacks, which are referred to as vishing, which are uh, kind of synonymous to uh, the phishing attacks that happen by email, but these are attacks that are happening over voice on the phone. That's why they're called vishing with a V. And uh, sadly, they're happening more and more frequently than, than we'd like to believe. Yep. But um, we just have to be more careful and aware and make sure that everyone's um, understanding the implications of the actions they're taking, taking, sometimes trying to be helpful and unnecessary sense of urgency are red flags that, that you have to be aware of too. Right. So Kristen, one last question for you uh, as we wrap up. Uh, I know that you and your husband are avid travelers. We talked about your story earlier. What is your next big trip that you're really looking forward to? And um, and when do you think that'll happen? Well, um, we got back from our bicycle tour. And um, believe it or not, there are still so many places that we have not been to. And when we got home, we didn't want to settle back into that um, routine of daily life quite so quickly. And we'd always wish that we were the type of people that could pack a bag, show up at the airport and head to the, wherever there was an open plane flight, plane seat. Um, but we're not quite that spontaneous. So when we got home from our trip, we made a list of all the places that we still wanted to go. And it's 104 places in an Excel spreadsheet. Well, it's probably 102 by now since we have done a couple, but we put every location on a piece of paper, threw it in a basket that we picked up in Bali. And on New Year's Eve every year, we shake up the basket and we alternate years pulling out the next place that we'll travel to. And so New Year's Eve of 2019, we pulled out Belize. And so hopefully over Christmas this year, we will be headed to Belize. That's exciting. I, I sure hope you can make that happen and the travel restrictions and things get reduced by then and and we get to do some at least leisure travel yep. uh, and not be stressed out during the travel process. Yeah. The story about how we how we decided to do the basket and how we did it and pictures of doing it. Um, if folks are interested, we had a website that we kept while we traveled at uh www.toofargone.com and that's TWO like the two of us or two wheels on a bicycle and um, we have a lot of our travel stories on there and it's fun to go back and uh, read through them and I think that basket story gets quite a lot of views and a lot of inspirations because it's fun to talk about and if you love to travel sometimes it's a little overwhelming of all the places you haven't traveled and so we leave it up a little bit to chance. And every once in a while, we get a mulligan. I think two two years ago, we pulled Venezuela. And after a little bit of research, we decided that we'd have to save that for another year. It just wasn't, wasn't safe. Mm-hmm. Every travel company had stopped doing tours there. So yeah. while we don't, we don't typically take tours, we do use tour companies as a, as a guidance for where places may or may not be safe or the best places to go. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good information out there. And yes, it's important to be safe when you're traveling to to all these places with all these unknowns. Uh, you want to make sure that you're safe and sound and and have access to everything that you need while you travel. Yeah. And most most places are safe. Yeah, no, I agree. Most places are very safe. And I and I'm looking at your website right now too. I look forward to reading through it and and reading through some of the stories that you guys have there. It's it's really interesting. Thank you. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for for being here. This was exciting and informative, and uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. And I hope we can continue this um, as as we go forward. And all the best on your upcoming trip and adventures. Thank you, Nabil. It was a pleasure. And uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, I am a podcast junkie, and so it's a it's a pleasure to be on the other side of the microphone. Well, hopefully this is the first of many other podcasts that you'll be a guest on. So hopefully we got you started on, on a different journey too that, that you'll enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. You too. This has been an Agent of Influence podcast with Nabil Hanan. Portions of this interview can be found in print on the NetSpy Executive blog. And please subscribe for future episodes of Agent of Influence at www.netspy.com slash agentofinfluence. 